All right. Well, this week we continue our Advent series, which is titled Prayers Answered. So what we're doing in each of the five weeks of Advent is we're looking at an Old Testament prayer. And we're seeing how is that prayer ultimately answered in the coming of Jesus Christ at Christmas. Last week we looked at Habakkuk chapter 3. And his prayer summed up in four words, in wrath, remember mercy. In wrath, remember mercy. And we looked at Matthew chapter 1 and the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And we realized that actually what looked like the lineage of God's people headed for destruction and eternal wrath, we see all along God was lacing mercy. And at the end of that genealogy, when he taxed the name Jesus Christ, we realize the prayer has been answered. In wrath, God has remembered mercy. Well, Habakkuk's prayer last week came from sort of the end of the Old Testament timeline. This week, I want us to turn to the book of Exodus, and we're going to look at a prayer that comes really towards the beginning of the timeline. Exodus chapter 32. I'll give you a moment to turn there. Exodus chapter 32. Exodus is the second book of the Bible, so even if you've never read a Bible before, just keep turning from the start, and you'll probably find it really quickly. And we're looking for chapter 32. The big numbers are the chapters. The tiny little numbers next to the sentences are the verse numbers. And the prayer that we're going to focus on this morning, so last week's prayer was in wrath, remember mercy. This week, the prayer that we are hearing and that we're going to see answered at Christmas time is this. Remember, Lord, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. That's the prayer that we're going to hear Moses pray and we're going to see is answered at Christmas. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. So maybe you're not super familiar with the story of Exodus, or maybe you have heard it before, but the details are a little fuzzy. We'll just, let's real quick do a flyby of the book of Exodus. In a nutshell, the main character of Exodus is Moses. Yeah, somebody on the back row knows the answer. That's right. Isaac knows. Yeah, we're going to be talking about your name today. All right. (coughs) Moses, the main character Uh, The book opens with his birth, and it's the story of how God used Moses to bring his people out of slavery. So Moses is born. God's people are enslaved in Egypt. The Lord sends Moses and sends him to tell Pharaoh the famous line, let my people go. And does Pharaoh say, sure, you know what? We'll let your people go. No, he does not. And over the course of ten plagues, God has to basically land a bunch of body blows against Pharaoh, and finally, after the tenth plague, Pharaoh says, fine, get out of here. And that very night, Moses leads the people, they go out into the wilderness, but Pharaoh changes his mind, chases the people. God opens the Red Sea, the people pass through on dry ground, Pharaoh and his army chase after them, God crushes Pharaoh and his army. He brings the people through the wilderness to a place called Mount Sinai. It's at Mount Sinai that God speaks directly to his people and gives them the Ten Commandments. And when the people hear the voice of the Lord, they're terrified. And they say, Moses, we can't. We can't do this. You go up on the mountain. Let God talk to you. And then you bring it down 
and you relay the message to us. So for 40 days, Moses is up on the mountain and God speaks to Moses face to face and he receives the law of God. But in Exodus chapter 32, we see the people start to get restless because it's, it's been 40 days. It's been a whole month plus that Moses has been missing, the guy who led them out of Egypt, who was supposed to be their leader, who was the one who was supposed to tell them what to do. And they get tired of waiting for Moses, and they decide to act. And what we find when the people act on their own in chapter 32, verse 1, is they begin to systematically break the Ten Commandments beginning with the first one. Verse 1, the people say to Aaron the high priest, Get up, make for us gods who shall go before us. <coughs> the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Broken. So Aaron gathers up all their golden rings and jewelry and bracelets, and he melts it down and he makes for them a golden calf. The second commandment, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. Broken. Then the people bestow the name of the Lord on an idol. These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. The third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Broken. Then Aaron declares to the people, we're going to have a Sabbath. We're going to have a feast, a profane feast to worship and honor our new idol, God. The fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, broken. The people, one by one, are systematically breaking the Ten Commandments and Moses hasn't even gotten done coming down the mountain to give it to him. And that is where our story picks up in Exodus 32, verse 9. Let's stand together as we read. <coughs> Exodus 32, beginning in verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heavens and all of this land that I have promised. I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of, bringing on his people. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so while Moses and the Lord have been communing together for 40 days on the top of the mountain, 
at the foot of the mountain. The people have demonstrated a persistent determination to transgress every law that God gives them, beginning with the first, second, third, and the fourth. And the Lord says to Moses, that's it. I've seen enough. I've seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you, Moses. I'm just going to start over from scratch. Step aside. Leave me alone. Let my wrath consume this irreverent, rebellious, stubborn, stiff-necked, petulant, ungrateful, deliberately wicked people. And we're just going to start this whole experiment over again. How would you respond if in his anger, the almighty God said to you, get out of the way. Get out of my way. Look at verse 11. But Moses implored the Lord his God. Who has the audacity when the Lord says, you leave me alone, you get out of my way, you let my hot anger fall from heaven and consume everything that you see. Who here has the audacity to step in the way and say, no. And yet that's exactly what Moses did. Moses steps in the way and he pleads, Lord, don't do it. This is our first encouragement as we consider Moses' prayer this morning. Moses encourages us, plead with the Lord. Plead with the Lord. If you know the story of Moses or if you've just heard it this morning, let's think back for a moment. Why did the Lord pursue Moses when he was an 80-year-old washed up former prince turned shepherd in the wilderness? Why did he insist that Moses return to Egypt and face down Pharaoh, split the Red Sea and bring his people to this mountain in the first place? Why? So that when the people proved to be stiff-necked and rebellious like God knew they would be and knew they already were. So that when the Lord's wrath would burn hot against this stiff-necked people, which he knew it would, he called and summoned and brought Moses so that when all of these things happened, Moses would be there to stand in between. That's why. What on earth gives Moses the right to do this? The Lord gives Moses the right to stand between his hot, burning wrath and a stiff-necked people. That's why Moses has the audacity to plead with the Lord. It's the Lord who put him there in the first place. The Lord chose Moses, found Moses, convinced Moses, appointed Moses, granted Moses special access to speak with him face to face so that when this moment came, Moses would plead with the Lord. Friends, before we proceed any further, 
I wonder whether this Christmas season, some of us need to learn how to plead. The author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus suffered and bled and died so that he could grant us this kind of face-to-face access with the almighty God, creator of the universe. If you're a Christian today, you were appointed to this very same duty. God has chosen you. He has pursued you. He has saved you. He has called you. He has appointed you and qualified you to plead with the Lord. Is this what your prayer life looks like? Exodus chapter 32, where you have the audacity to stand between God and stiff-necked, rebellious, sinful, wicked people in your life. Parents, God has stationed you in your home so that you would stand between God and your children and plead with the Lord. Teachers, God has placed you in your classroom so that when they prove to be stiff-necked and rebellious like you know they are, rather than getting hot and angry, you stand between them and God and plead with the Lord. Whether we have employers in here or employees, God has placed you in your workplace so that when your boss or your co-workers or the people who work for you prove to be the wicked sinners you know them to be, rather than getting hot and angry with them, you stand between them and the Lord and you plead with the Lord. Wherever you may find yourself, husbands with your wives, wives with your husbands, students with your classmates, brothers with your sisters. If you are a believer this morning, God has put you there to plead on their behalf. To plead with the Lord. College Street Baptist Church, we have to believe God has placed us in this community among these people so that we would plead for their soul. Plead with the Lord. You see, the sheer audacity of Moses is the point. Plead with the Lord. What is the content of Moses' prayer then? When Moses falls on his face between the Lord and this stiff-necked people, what is it in his upraised hands? What does he offer up as he implores the Lord not to do what he says he's determined to do? It's not an excuse. He doesn't, certainly doesn't argue on the basis of the people. You know, They're not really that bad, Lord. They're doing their best. They're trying. Just give them another chance. No, it's actually, it, it almost seems like a foregone conclusion. These people are going to continue to sin. We just know that's the truth. <laughs> Moses doesn't even bother with that. No, he pleads not on the basis of the people and how much they deserve to be saved. Moses, when he pleads with the Lord, he pleads on the basis of the Lord. And I would encourage you to write these down because Moses models for us exactly what it looks like to pray and to plead with the Lord for the lost. Number one, plead his possession. Plead his possession. Let me read to you verse 11 again. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? 
What Moses is doing here is pleading something really in direct contradiction to what God said in verse 7. Look at it with me. This is the Lord speaking now to Moses. Go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. And Moses' prayer is a retort to the Lord. No, Lord, this is your people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt. This wasn't my idea. Remember, Lord, you found me. You were the one who came to me in the burning bush, and I quote, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Come and I will send you, Moses, to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses pleads his possession. These are your people. <coughs> You're the one who saved them. We belong to you. I wonder this morning whether you can even begin your prayer in this way. Can you begin your prayer in saying, Lord, the reason I can even speak to you right now is because I belong to you. Do you know what it means to belong to the Lord? Are you his possession? Can you begin a prayer with this kind of confidence? Lord, I'm yours. Are you his? This is what the Advent season is all about. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us. This isn't about me following after me, that me chasing after you, God. This is about you chasing after me. You're the one who made me yours. I am yours. I believe that Jesus has died so that I can be your possession. Plead in your prayers. Begin by pleading his possession. Secondly, plead his reputation. So Moses begins by saying, Lord, we're yours. This is your people. You have saved us. We belong to you. And then he begins to plead the Lord's reputation. Look at verse 12, the beginning of verse 12. Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out? To kill them on the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Moses says to the Lord, what will the Egyptians say when they see on the news that the Lord, who claimed these people as his own, brought them out into the wilderness only to rain fire down from heaven and consume them all? They're going to have a great laugh at the bar about this one. Lord, consider your reputation. Forget about us for a moment, Lord. Think about your reputation among the nations. The nations should be standing in awe before you and how mighty and wonderful you are and what you do for your people. God, you deserve all of their praise. So continue to be with us and preserve us so that all the peoples of the earth will praise you. And your name will be great. Plead his reputation. And then thirdly, Moses, in tandem with this, he pleads his compassion. The second half of verse 12. Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. The idea there, the word relent has this idea of 
taking pity. Feeling a sense of compassion. Have mercy on us, O Lord. Don't let your anger burn hot against us. Instead, let your heart throb with compassion and pity on us. Once again, Moses is not pleading on the basis of some fundamental change in the people. He's pleading for the Lord to choose to respond to the sin and wickedness of the stiff-necked, rebellious people to respond in a different way. Because the truth of the matter is, it is good and it is right for a holy and righteous God to respond to sin and transgression against his law. It is good and right for him to respond with anger and judgment and wrath. God is fully justified. Think about it for a moment. What kind of a monster would God be if he shrugged against evils like human trafficking or husbands abusing their wives mercilessly or if the Lord didn't care when the rich exploited and enslaved the poor? What kind of a God would that be who didn't grow hot and angry against that kind of sin? He wouldn't be a good God. No, it's right when the Lord sees sin and evil and responds with wrath and anger. That's very right and good of him. However, Moses believes it is also right for the Lord to see sinners and all of their stiff-necked wickedness and depravity and disobedience and for him to feel compassion and for him to see these people and to feel a sense of pity. And to send a savior. And so Moses pleads for his compassion. Finally, as we get to the end of Moses' short prayer, the bedrock, really the foundation of Moses' prayer is this. Fourthly, plead his promise. Plead the Lord's promise. Verse 13. Remember, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heavens and all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And so Moses mentions the promise. His prayer is finished and we see how the Lord responds. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. This is what anchors Moses' prayer. This is where Moses and all of his audacity springs from. It comes from God himself. It was God who took the initiative. It was God who spoke these binding words, swearing Moses reminds him by his very own self against his own name. It was the Lord who voluntarily swore by his own glory to keep his promise to Abraham no matter what. It was the Lord who chose to re-swear these promises to Isaac. It was the Lord who chose to swear them a third time to Israel. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heavens and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. 
It was the Lord who commanded Abraham and his son Isaac and his grandson Israel and every son thereafter to circumcise every son born to them until God kept his promise. It's the Lord who did all of this. It was the Lord who caused Israel to remember his promise by sending Moses and telling him, here's the God I want you to tell them has sent you, the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Moses is simply pleading God's promise back to God. Remember? Remember what you said? Remember what you promised? Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel? Remember your promise. But here's the thing. Even before Moses prayed this prayer, the Lord was already remembering. Turn back with me to the beginning of the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 2. Before Moses prayed, before Moses brought them to Mount Sinai, before the Lord parted the Red Sea, before the Passover and the Exodus out of slavery, before all of the plagues, before he even called Moses, Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. You see, Moses was on safe ground pleading with the Lord to remember because the Lord is a God who always remembers. Before Moses, he remembered Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. He answered this prayer. During the ministry of Moses, he remembered Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. And for the whole life of the people of Israel, he continued to remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Time and time again, he remembered, he remembered, he remembered, all the way until the first Christmas. He continued to remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. And as we turn to the pages of the New Testament, we meet a priest in the temple of God named Zechariah, who turns out to be Jesus' uncle. And he realizes, as that first Christmas is dawning upon this universe, exactly what is happening. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his covenant. He's remembering. It's happening. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We've heard the prayer. Moses pleading with the Lord, pleading his possession pleading his reputation, pleading his compassion, pleading his promise. Now we're going to see how the answer came at Christmas. Luke chapter 2, verse 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. 
And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people, Israel. Why does Luke tell us about Jesus' circumcision? Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel? Remember his promise? Remember the offspring? Remember that circumcision was the sign of God's eternal covenant until he kept it? Do you remember? Luke says, the Lord does. Why does Luke tell us about Jesus' dedication in the temple? Do you remember Moses? Do you remember the Passover? Do you remember the Exodus? Do you remember how the Lord remembered his people and brought them out of slavery? The quote there in verse 23 is from Exodus chapter 13. Guess what was happening that night? The Passover and the Exodus. That very night, God brought his people out of Egypt. On that night, God passed over the firstborn sons of Israel, and they became holy to the Lord. Why does Luke tell us about Simeon? Why does Luke tell us about the Lord's promise to Simeon in verse 26? And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Well, do you remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel? Do you remember that he promised to them he was going to send an offspring, the Christ child? Do you remember? Luke says, because the Lord does. When that circumcised little baby, the promised offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, when the Christ child was carried into the temple by his parents, Simeon takes that boy in his arms and he raises him up and he rejoices and he says, Lord, what else can I say? You've remembered you have remembered. You've kept your promise to me. You've kept your promise to your people. You've kept your promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. You remember. <coughs> the Lord remembered his possession. Do you remember Moses prayed, This is your people whom you brought out of Egypt? Luke takes us back to that very event when the Lord took possession of his firstborn son, Israel, and brought them out of Egypt and said, These people are mine, holy to the Lord. Simeon's spontaneous praise ends with these words, and for the glory of your people, Israel, you have remembered your possession. The Lord remembered his reputation. 
He didn't destroy his people. He's, in fact, provided salvation before all of the nations, Simeon says, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. He has remembered his compassion. Luke tells us that this righteous and godly man, Simeon, was waiting for the consolation, the pity and compassion of God upon his people Israel. Look at verse 25 again. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation, the compassionate restoration of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And as Simeon wrapped his arms around Jesus, he realized what more compassionate thing could the Lord send than his own son. Finally, he remembered his promise. Verse 26, Simeon begins his praise with this. Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace. Why? According to your word. This has all taken place just as you promised it would. He's remembered his promise. Friends, the most Christmassy thing that you and I can do is to spend some time pleading with the Lord the promises of his word. Falling on our knees and saying, Lord, these are your promises. This is what you have bound yourself to do. I'm not asking you to do for anything else for me other than what you have promised to me in Christ that you would do. Keep your promises, Lord. Remember. Remember what you said. Do it for us today. Because at Christmas, God's answer to those prayers became tangible. It was something, it was someone that could be gathered up in arms and tossed joyfully in the air and celebrated that Christ child is flesh and blood proof that God has, will, and always will remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. The question for us this Christmas is, will you and I be circumcised of heart? Will we be those who have faith and who trust? The Lord is a Lord who remembers. Let's pray. God, we ask that our faith would be strengthened as we see the way that you have answered the prayers of your saints. May it give us the audacity in Jesus' name to step before your throne and to stand between the lost in our lives, whether in our homes, in our workplaces, our classrooms, wherever, our friends, Lord, that we would have the audacity to plead with you, to plead your promises, because we know you are the Lord who will always remember. It's in Jesus' name we trust and pray. Amen.